Well, uh, here we are, 40 days of uh, community, week two, day eight. Thank you, day eight. Uh, and if you go, oh, I'm only on day five, or perhaps you're only on day two, or perhaps you're on day naught, then start today afresh on day eight. You have my permission to do what you must never do, skip pages in a book, to leap forward and start on day eight today and uh, go back to what was talked about for some of the days that you missed last week if you're already behind. And uh, the only good thing about that book is that it hasn't got the actual physical date at the top of the page. How many of you go to your Bible reading notes and it says at the top of the page, bear in mind it's February, August 2006, and you go, oh... It's kind of stares at you, guilt and depression and failure, and you never get past. So, okay, no dates, no nothing. Day eight, here we go. Every day's a new start. God's mercy is new and fresh for us. Last week, we laid the foundations of all that these 40 days will be about. More than that, we tried to set some uh, uh, spade work as to what are the values, the characteristics, the the things that we should be aspiring to as God's people, uh, the church. I found some of last week very moving. Uh, I know I wasn't here, but I've uh, caught up with it. And I found some of it very moving as we talked about those times the church began to become what the church should be. And uh, we talked about the things that we need to aspire to together. If you missed it, get the CD or the podcast or whatever. Catch up on it. And I know church isn't like that all of the time. Of all people in this room, I know how bad church can be. And uh, I know sometimes it feels like uh, uh, you need to tell me what's wrong with the church. And I'm glad when you do, but believe me, I'm fully aware of what's wrong with the church. But we believe that in God's will and purpose, the church is to rise to become something quite extraordinary, don't we? We believe that in a world falling apart, we as God's people should be rising and standing together. And it's that standing together, that love that unites us across our differences and our weirdness that Jesus says will point to the fact that we are his uh, disciples. So we've got to believe in the church, whether we like it or not. And this last week, there was a sad moment for me because I visited some friends that, 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 that I know, that we know, we visited some friends, friends that we love, friends that love Jesus, but have been really hurt by the church. And they've been so hurt by the church, they're just going, I can't do that, we can't do that anymore. And I wonder what Jesus thought about that in all of their pain about church. Because actually we don't have the freedom to walk away, do we? Jesus talks about the church and himself, a bit like a a bride and a bridegroom. The two go together, hand in hand. You cannot come to my home and say, I'm happy to see you, but I can't stand your missus. And more likely you can't do it the other way around. We go together. And you can't say you love Jesus but not like his church very much. Do you understand where I'm tracking? We can't love Jesus and say, hey, we're not too fussed about his church. 
Because if we love Him, we need to love the things that He loves. And the Bible says that He died for His church. And so as we began last week to think about all that the church needs to aspire to become, I just want to encourage you to walk this journey with us. The church isn't everything it should be. There have been times when the church has let you down. There's been times when the church has let me down. But we want to say, Lord God, make us into the people you want us to be. And that's what this journey is uh, all about. We are better together. Much better together. On our own, we get lost in the sea of this world. But together we can begin to unite and stand for something. And that's what we're thinking about this morning as we think about looking out, reaching out into the world. How can we be so much better together than we would ever be by ourselves or on our own? You see, behind every door in your street is a person that God loves. And behind every door in this neighbourhood, the streets up and down London Road and Burlington Road and, and around, are full this morning of people that God really loves. In fact, the Bible says that God didn't make a person he doesn't love. And in all of these streets and in all of these houses, there are people that uh, Jesus died for, just like he died for you and for me. And and we know all that to be true, and as we've been thinking about stories at the beginning of this year, uh, uh, many of us go, yeah, I believe in all of this. We've got to get our story out there. We've got to get God's story out there. We've got to reach out beyond ourselves. But on our own, we feel so powerless to do anything about it. In fact, even while we were going through all the story stuff, what was going through your mind was the same as what's going through my mind, which goes something like this. Well, it's dead easy to get excited about it all when we're all together on a Sunday, but I know that tomorrow morning, when I'm on my own and I feel a lone ranger, isolated Christian, it's really hard to get my story out there. That's why we desperately need each other to help us get our story out there. And one of the threads that runs right through uh, the New Testament is that all that we are called to do in the world, we are called to do it together. Called to do it together. Philippians uh, 1, that Margaret read a little bit later on in that passage, if you still have it open in uh, front of you, verse 27, it says, Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel. You will stand together for the sake of taking the gospel to the dark world that so desperately needs it. And the Living Bible that I benefited from so much as a a youngster because it it tried to express what the the, the Bible was saying in, in words that made it easier and more accessible puts that verse like this. You are standing together side by side with one strong purpose to tell the good news. And what I might not be able to do by myself in my own small corner, what I might not be able to achieve if I think it's just me and myself, noddy no-mates, we could do if we stood together side by side. 
If tomorrow morning I somehow knew that I was not on my own, but I was still with this army of God's people called Burlington Baptist Church, what difference would that make? Well, that's what I want us to think about just for the next 15, 20 minutes or so. To try and get in our minds that whether we're together geographically, physically, or apart, we are together in this task. And I need to feel that togetherness. In my witness to my neighbours, in the times that I spend uh, trying to reach out to ordinary people in ordinary ways, just like you, I need to know that you're on my side. And I dare say you need to know that I'm on your side too. We're in it together. And so Philippians 1 verse 5, uh, there right in the middle of what Margaret read to us, talks of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. You've been my partners, Paul says, in spreading the good news about Christ. Can you remember that time in the gospels when Jesus used the image of the vine? And he talks about his father being the gardener, and he's the vine, and off this vine comes lots of different branches that go to bear fruit. It's it's an image of uh, the church, and it's an image of our need to be rooted in Jesus and so on. I, I don't know about you, and because of our culture and so on, we so frequently and so easily think about it in individualistic ways. As long as I'm rooted in the vine, I will bear much fruit. But never does Jesus use the singular you. Never does he talk about you being on your own. It's always when we all together are rooted in the vine, then we shall bear much fruit, fruit that will last. But there's a togetherness about that. And the inference is that if there's a vine and there's only one branch bearing fruit, it doesn't matter how good that branch is, it won't amount to much. But suddenly if every branch says, hey, I'm going to take my togetherness, my belonging to the vine, so seriously, I'm going to feed off others and I'm going to give to others that they might feed off me, then we might, says Jesus, bear much fruit. You, plural, did not choose me, but I chose you, plural, and appointed you, plural, to go and bear fruit. We're not on our own, and I'm glad about that. So how do we work hard at expressing our real togetherness? Well, we do it in this kind of way on a Sunday morning, but as we've been talking about already through this 40 days journey, we want to think particularly about how strategic our small groups are in helping to foster that sense that we're doing it together. Because with the best will in the world, I cannot know what all of you will be doing tomorrow morning, and you can't do that for me or for everybody else. But we could do it for those in our small group. We could understand what kind of week the others in our small group are having and facing. We could understand the things that are going to be hard and difficult. We could understand the opportunities that they are seeking to exploit for God's kingdom purpose. We're better together. And so I want us to think about how we can use our small groups to think about how we express our togetherness when we reach out. Which is a different way of thinking of our small groups because traditionally we think of our small groups as looking in. How we can support and encourage each other within them. That's absolutely fantastic and totally essential. But we cannot simply look in without, in the light of all that Jesus has given us, choose to look back out also. So how do we do it? 
Well, the first uh, uh, letter of the word partner, P, we pray, we pray together. We pray together. And the first thing I want you to think about doing in your small groups is to spend more time, if you don't do this already, spend more time praying together about those people you are trying to reach. Now, we all know that we should be praying for those that we're trying to reach, don't we? And we all find it really hard to keep praying for those we are trying to reach. To pray for our friends that haven't stepped across the line, to pray for our friends who are still considering the claims of Christ, to pray for people we know who perhaps are still anti-Christ or against his church. But what if we just created time again and again when we met together? It doesn't have to be long. It doesn't have to take over the whole evening. But just every now and again we're saying, hey, there's these people, aren't there? And we're still praying for them. And the beauty of it would be this, that you wouldn't simply be praying by yourself for your friend, but all of your group will be praying for your friend, and, and all of your group will be praying for their friends as well. And we believe in the power of prayer to warm cold hearts, to change stubborn hearts, to shift apathetic hearts. Uh, and a couple of years ago, maybe we should dig this out, uh, when I preached on prayer, I don't know, we did 20 sermons or so on prayer, didn't we? A couple of years ago. Uh, and we spent two Sundays looking just at what it might mean to pray for our non-believing friends and family. And how prayer breaks down the walls that exist. Maybe we need in our small groups to recapture that, because it'll just get, if it's left to me, and if it's just left to you on our own, we'll lose it, won't we? It just disappears in, in, in the busyness of life. But if together we could say, hey, we're praying for these people. We're praying for them. We could pray all kinds of things. We pray for the, the opportunities that we might have to share the message of Christ. And when you begin to pray for opportunities, you begin looking for opportunities. And when you start praying, you start looking. And when you start looking for opportunities, miraculously, out of nowhere, totally unexpectedly, opportunities sometimes arise, don't they? that we would have missed if we'd not said in our small group, hey, let's just pray for one another this week, that opportunities may arise. And in a fortnight's time, in a week's time, let's talk about what happened with those opportunities. So you could make a group prayer list, because prayer changes situations and circumstances. Okay, A, we could appeal to common interests. We're thinking about how in our small group we might reach out to other people. Now, you are most likely to be of interest to people who in some way have something in common with you already. Before you can reach them, you must relate to them. So what are the things that are kind of unique about your group? What are the interests that express your group? All our groups are different. What, what, what defines your group? What kind of person uh, would be most interested in doing the kind of things that you are interested in uh, doing? We need to think about ways in which we can spread the net of our relationships in our group to include others that do not yet know Jesus but might be willing to come along with us when we're doing something that they would find an interest in. 
So, for example, I heard of a group that uh, bought uh, uh, season tickets and they chose to buy two more season tickets for the football uh, and, and every week they just invited someone else to come and join their group. Well, what a great thing to do. And they didn't, at half-time, get a little tracked out or, you know, or anything sad like that. They just were mates to these people. And suddenly, the people that went to watch the football began to think, I feel a little bit part of this group. And so the opportunity uh, begins. Someone came to talk to me <clears throat> a few weeks ago about science fiction. Now, science fiction, to me, is worse than watching paint dry. I, 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 that's weird, I mean, just weird, but, but, but that's cool, because there are things that I'm into that other people think are really weird. And what they were saying to me is, there are a group of us that have got this interest around science fiction. Can we use this common interest to help build relationships with other people? Answer, yes, of course. Find a common interest. That's what Paul talks about. Whatever a person is like, I try to find common ground with him or her, so that he will let me tell him about Christ and let Christ save him. I do this to get the gospel to them and also for the blessing I myself receive when I see them come to Christ. See, I might even go to a sci-fi thing if that would happen. Not because I'm into sci-fi, but I'm into Jesus. And so Paul says, I'm a bit of a chameleon. I'm not false, but I just want to be, I just want to help to connect with people. And so where is your group best placed to connect with people? Maybe you've got a lot of parents, a lot of young children. Maybe your group's always talking about this or that. What is it? Let's work it out in our, in our groups. And then thirdly, we've got to reach out in love. And this is, the, this is the real one, isn't it? As we talked about last week. Unless people know that we really love them, they won't give two oots about anything else. And so can we create in our groups a love that is so infectious, that is so real, that is so willing to self-sacrifice, that when other people are drawn into that community, that they're just amazed by what they find. Because actually in most of life, people are looking out simply for themselves. That's the deal. I'm looking out for number one. And if I'm all right, Jack, I'm all right, Jack. What if we were able to expose people to something totally different, which said, my big deal is not whether I'm all right, Jack, but are you all right, Jill? Or whoever it might be. To reach out in love. And that's why our inner focus of love, one to another, is so, so important. Because unless we can get that totally sorted out, we're never going to be able to do the other one at all. So we're reaching in in love that we might reach out in love. And the two go hand in hand. God is love. And if we're not somehow experiencing that love growing in our groups or in our community then somehow we're not on God's journey. See, we can get everything else lined up. And if we want, we can write a nice CV of all the stuff that's happening. 
and see how impressed God might be with that. At the end of the day, he says there is an authenticating mark as to how well you're doing, and it's love. Not this mushy, romantic type stuff, but all you men did so well on Thursday night, I hope, after Heather's appeal last Sunday. Not that stuff, but the real stuff. The stuff that would cause somebody to lay down their lives for their friends. And you say that's hugely dramatic, and it is. I'm not suggesting for one moment that it's not a huge deal to lay down your life for a friend. But I want to tell you that way before you get to that point, there are small things we can do that express real love that make such a huge difference. I don't know when it was. Perhaps it was just before Christmas. And uh, we were uh, up in the church halls. We had two courses going on. I think Kerry was doing Redeeming Eve and I was upstairs doing the, uh, the maturity course. Basically, she was telling people to go out and spend their money. I was telling people to tithe. It seemed to work really well. And, uh, and we got to the end of that morning and I was in a bit of a stress because I knew that I had to go and pick uh, Joel up from football somewhere over wherever he was playing football. And when I came out, my car was blocked in. And it was blocked in by a load of cars that I, I, I didn't recognise or didn't know. And there were people down here working and stuff. And I went round everybody. Uh, and a group of our guys from our church that were working. Uh, and I was going, hey, I'm getting a bit stressed now. I need to get my car and stuff. Uh, and three people, maybe four people, I can't remember, immediately, instantly, without any kind of thought or, or, or deep thing, said, here, take my car. And I was really touched by that. It wasn't a big thing in a way, but I was really moved. That actually someone would just say, hey, you, you just take my car. I hope I do the same. The little things go an awful long way in our community. And the same is true of the little niggles that we have with people. They sometimes can hurt far deeper than we realise. So we've got to build this community of love because if we cannot build a community of love out here, when people look in, they'll say they're just like everybody else. Who needs Jesus if that's what it does? I can get that anywhere. They need to see something tangibly, realistically different. Paul says, because we loved you, we were happy to share not only God's good news with you, but even our own lives. And so that for me is a really defining uh, phrase. Will we love people enough that we won't simply shout at them from a distance about the good news, but that we'd even share with them our own lives? Are we prepared to get our hands dirty in people's ordinary lives to share Jesus with them? If anyone could have shouted from heaven, Jesus could have. But it wasn't his way, and it wasn't his story, and I guess maybe it shouldn't be ours. And one of the saddest things that people expect to find in a Christian community is what? I think one of the things that most people expect to find if they touch a Christian community is our judgment. They think we have a list of things that are wrong, and we do. Sin's wrong, bad, screws you up, screws everybody else up, stop it. And they expect that the first thing that they will hear when they come into our community is our condemnation of them. We have to prove them wrong. Not because their sin doesn't matter and doesn't need the convicting, condemning of God's Holy Spirit. It most certainly does. 
but Jesus loved people where they were before he told them to go and sin no more. And we need to help people understand that here is a place where they can find themselves, not simply come to be told how bad they are. Most people know how bad they are. They don't need our help with that, however kind we think we are being. And that's why when people are out reaching out, uh, I was listening to one story, in fact, I think Philip Yancey tells a story similar at the beginning of What's So Amazing About Grace, for those of you who have read it, of, of, of trying to reach out, someone reaching out to some prostitutes and saying, come to church, we'd love you to come and just be part of our community. And they cannot understand They cannot understand why that person would dare say that. Because in their minds, all they would ever get from the church is their condemnation. We've got to learn to love in a new way. Because it's that love of a community coming together that will help us with a world that's falling uh, apart. Okay, we're going to rattle on. got to tell your story, P-A-R-T, partners, tell your story, you know all about that, you've heard about it once or twice these last uh, few weeks, but you know what happens about telling your story? If you don't keep telling your story, it becomes harder to tell. And I want to ask you in your small groups to make sure that every single week, as many of you as possible, tell your story in some way or form, say something about, <clears throat> say something about the difference that God is making in your life. That's hard. It's hard to do that. It's a bit more uh, vulnerable than simply talking about the Bible study. It's about being real. But if we can learn to do it with the people that we love and on our side, we stand a much better chance of saying it to someone else outside of our circle. And if I can't even get into a regular pattern of feeling comfortable of talking to you lot about my story, then the chance of me telling it to someone else, and I don't even know whether they're going to warm to it or not, will, will be almost non-existent. Let's keep telling our story. Not how we became a Christian as much as the difference God is making. And as God is working in our lives, week by week, month by month, we'll have new and different stories to tell. Let's keep telling our stories. And let's nurture real friendships. And that's the bit that takes time and effort and energy. We live at pace. We live uh, by deadlines and projects. The success of a week is by how many things you've checked off that you knew you needed to have done by a certain time. And Jesus says, no, there's something deeper than that. You were made to relate. And in our small group, we have the opportunity of learning together to nurture real friendships. And if we cannot do it amongst ourselves, we'll really, really struggle to do it with people out there. And how do you nurture friendships? Well, the Bible has a way, and Jesus had a way. It was all around the party, all around the big uh, dinner. And the religious leaders were so mad with Jesus because all they could see was him going from one social gathering to another social gathering. And it's really important that in our small groups we capture this uh, social stuff for Jesus. We do not want in any way, shape or form to dumb down our church into some kind of social gathering. But unless we uh, open up our friendships and our relationships to people outside the kingdom, then they're never going to find Christ. 
in the way that we long for them to. And so Levi, uh, the, the tax collector, became a Christian and he held this party. There were just a load of other tax collectors there and Jesus was in his element. You and I would have been like fish out of water. But Jesus was in his element. Because he'd never lost what it was to nurture friendships and relationships with ordinary, everyday people in ordinary, everyday situations. And then expect God to act. I need your help. I need your help to expect God to do more. And you need my help to expect God to do more. And you need the help of those around you in your small group to encourage you more and more about what God can do. Charles uh, Spurgeon tells uh, a story. Uh, The great pastor who had probably one of the largest churches of his time in England in the 19th century. uh, And uh, about 10,000 people he would often speak to. And many people came to know Christ. And one day a young man came to him and said, Mr. Spurgeon, I don't understand it. Whenever you talk to people about the Lord Jesus, they seem to respond. But whenever I talk to people, nobody seems interested. Nobody comes to Christ. What's wrong? Spurgeon, it says, said to him, well, young man, you don't expect people to come to Jesus Christ every time you talk about him, do you? He said, well, of course not. Spurgeon said, that's your problem. That's your problem. If I expect, if I raise the level of my faith, I will increase the opportunity through which God can work. How do I raise the level of my faith? I need you to help me. I need you to speak God's truth into my life. You need me to speak it into your life that we might encourage one another to keep raising faith, to keep raising our game, to keep increasing the opportunities because the more we expect, the greater God will do. And if I'm left to myself, I will dumb down to my humanity, and so will you. And so we need to expect God to act. And so I want to say in your small groups, how encouraging are you in each and every situation to help people expect something more from God? We accept the circumstances, sometimes as the status quo. Let's encourage one another to expect more from God. And so we keep going. And then finally... We represent Christ with our lives. Words and actions need to match up. You see, there's a sea change going on in our community, and it looks like this. There was a time when people would never join a small group unless they were really keen. People would come on a Sunday, and then we'd say to people, hey, if you're really keen, if you want something extra, then join a small group. And the keen ones would have joined a small group ages ago. That's, that's kind of how it worked. Now something different is taking place. Some people are joining our community, are accessing Burlington Church, not through what happens here on a Sunday. Maybe they're not ready for church. They still find this kind of thing too difficult because unless you're a Christian, this is well weird. Even if you are a Christian, sometimes it's well weird. And and so this is too much, but they are getting involved in a small group and they are building relationships in a small group. And so it's beginning to happen back to front. And we're saying we need to place our small group strategically enough so that people can begin to join our community, not firstly necessarily by coming on a Sunday, although for some that will always be the way, but by joining a small group before they've ever had the courage to step inside the church. Because your home is not as scary as this church. In fact, maybe it is. I've seen some of your homes. (laughs) But theoretically, your home is not as scary as this church. And they meet other people in their homes. 
and so we're looking for a new way in. I need you to make this happen. You need me to make this happen. Together, we need God.